Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It is Sahara Rose here, and you are tuning in to the Highest Self podcast. I'm your host, and today I will be sharing with you one of my favorite topics, which are understanding our archetypes. So, what are archetypes? Um, what does that even mean? And how do we figure out what our archetypes are? So in the last episode, I spoke a little bit about our past sal- past lives, how we can find out who we were in our reincarnated pasts. And this episode is kind of going to go off from there. So if you haven't listened to the last episode, I invite you to listen first so you can know a little bit more about what your past lives are all about, how you can find out what they are, um, Um, what it really takes. And that was podcast episode four. So in this episode, we are going to be talking more about the spiritual archetypes. So what is an archetype? So an archetype is essentially a role. And each of our souls have chosen a specific role in this reincarnation. So um, although each soul has basically one main role. We have secondary role influences, um, which have to do with our essence twins and casting, which I won't get into in this, um, but we mostly will resonate with one, but there are others that we also resonate with. So it's just like your dosha. You have a primary dosha, but you might have a secondary that you also resonate with. So this archetype gives you a huge understanding of what you were put on this earth to do. And at the same time, it will give you a great understanding of why certain things are so hard for you and what are the lessons that you need to learn in this life. So I began discovering the archetypes and emerging myself in them. Probably when I was in college, I had a lot of just questions about why we were placed on this earth and what our, our purpose was and I learned about the Michael teachings, which this is all based of part of the Michael teachings. You can go on michaelteachings.com. I'll put that in the show links. So the Michael teachings breaks down the archetypes, soul ages, basically kind of everything you need to know. And it's a, a system that I really resonate with. There are many different spiritual systems, but this specific one, it was told by a man, a spirit named Michael. It's this whole story. I won't get into that, but The seven roles are something that I see every single day, everywhere I go, and they make a lot of sense. And if you look at all different types of archetypes and all different kinds of systems and religions and cultures, they all kind of come down to the same. So the seven archetypes in the Michael teachings are one, server, two, artisan, three, warrior, four, scholar, five, sage, six, priest, and seven, king. I have an article that I wrote all about this, which is on my website, eatfeelfresh.com. If you click on the article section, you will see the archetypes article, the seven archetypes. So it has this all written down here in case you don't remember it. I wrote down all the notes for you. So what are these archetypes? How do they show up for us? Just hearing them, maybe one of them kind of like jolted out to you, or maybe they were all just kind of sounding like a game of chess. I don't know. So let's discuss what these archetypes are, what their intentions were on this planet, and what their burdens are as well. So we'll begin with the server. So the server was placed on this planet to alleviate suffering. Um, What they want more than anything is to solve the world's problems in the material and physical sense. So the servers are basically the ones who are always there helping other people. They are nurses, social workers, mothers, even doctors. Um, They have a strong tendency towards domestic living. So a lot of times like housewives are the server category. Grandmothers are the server categories. And they carry the burden of everyone around them. But they oftentimes have a hard time asking for help themselves. So it relates to the kapha dosha of being there for everyone else, but you know, when you need something, you feel like it's it's rude to ask. So kaphas also carry this server archetype. So servers are about 25% of the 
of the population. So a large percentage, and I think a lot of that percentage is female. So like Mother Teresa would be a really famous server. She was obviously put on this planet to serve others. Um, servers are extremely capable. They're great caregivers. They're caring, competent. They're very devoted to their family and their friends and their causes. They're extremely friendly. Um, they're very inspirational. They, you know, the way that they put people in front of them is truly inspirational for others. They are extremely loving. They have so much love to share. They're very nurturing. They're motherly. Um, at the same time, they're practical. You can come to them when you need something and, and they'll get it done for you. They're very sweet, trustworthy. They're warm. They're sensible. So servers comprise actually the largest population um, in the world, the highest percentage of the world's population. Um, because so many of us were put on this planet to help others. So what the server does is they kind of work behind the scenes and they like to work on a one-on-one -on -one level. So they oftentimes find themselves as therapists or just healers, um, practitioners, massage therapists. They like to feel that they're helping people. They make excellent nurses, uh, doctors, things like that. We definitely need more of them in the medical industry, that's for sure. But what happens when you're too giving? When all of your energy is placed on serving the common good but not really looking after yourself. So servers might start to feel like a doormat after a while. They are always making sure everyone else is okay, but they don't look out for themselves and that leaves them feeling, you know, just forgotten about. They they don't practice self-care. Um, they oftentimes gain weight because of that. They obviously don't practice enough yoga and take baths and things like that. They're just too busy helping people. You will be able to spot a server when you just feel this kind of soft diffusion of light that emanates from their eyes. And that's the inspiration access energy. Their light is just very like clean and pure and therapeutic. So the priests and the high priestesses, which I'll mention later, they have that quality too, but their light is a lot more intense. Like the light that you see in a, in a priest or priestess is like, wow, that light. Whereas the server's light is just like warming and soothing. It's like taking a bath. If you feel like you are a server, you need to look out for yourself. You are not able to help those around you if you are constantly putting them before you. You are not going to be the highest version of yourself. So always, always, always practice self-care. Listen to your body. Listen to yourself. Know that sometimes you need to say no. You can't say yes to everything. And at the same time, let go of control. A lot of the reason why servers feel like they need to help everyone is because they feel like if they don't do it, everything will collapse. They feel like they need to be there for their friends and for their family and for their workspace because no one can, else can do it. So it's sort of this kind of closet control freak behind the serving. Let go of that. Things will work out as they are meant to be, even if you are not the one to do them. So some famous servers that we've seen out there, um, the Dalai Lama, Mother Teresa, um, a lot of, you know, just people like in charity and things like that, uh, Oprah for sure, they are just so, so, so giving, um, but they just have to make sure that they're provided for as well. So after we have the giving servers, we have the artisans. So the artisans are extremely creative. They are sort of the vatas. They are expressive, they're fresh, they're imaginative, they're constantly reinventing the wheel. They're very original, they tend to be stylish, they're spontaneous. They are always just looking for the next thing. So artisans are obviously into the arts, but they're also into engineering, computer programming, physics, science, um, web design, all of these things. They're always looking for ways to create something. So for them, they don't see the world as this sort of like one direction, omnidirectional space. They see it as like a fan that can flow in so many directions. So that's, again, the vata, the wind, the movement that they're really feeling. They're constantly like picking up on ideas and things and their frequency is super high. But what they struggle with is keeping their attention 
in one thing for long enough to complete it. They oftentimes, just like the Vatas, start tons of projects and end up not finishing them all because then they get excited about the next one and the next one. And they love to begin things, not to finish things. So artisans, they are very metaphysical. They are always looking for, well, what's the higher purpose here? They're looking at the world in like cool ways, um, very trippy. They're very into like geometric patterns and sacred geometry and things like that. But artisans at the same time, they can they can have all of this like creative goodness, but they can sometimes get really like moody and can actually turn crazy. So with all of the movement and flow going on in the artisan's mind, sometimes that can just turn into too much and it turns into anxiety. It turns into just irritability and they just don't know how to handle it all and it's really important for them to stay grounded to stay present to regain that grounding earth kapha like energy otherwise they can really spiral out of control artisans tend to get bored with like the everyday nine to five kind of workspace they really need to be challenged they need freedom they need you know that creative space but they also have to find that strength for them with, from themselves to finish it and like stay in some sort of like routine or habit. So artisans tend to be writers, actors, engineers, composers, even surgeons. Surgery is a very artistic thing. Carpentry is also very artistic as well. It, you will recognize an artisan because they're always just like making something, they're doodling, they're drawing something. You know, their Instagram is probably like super creative. They're always taking really cool photos. They just see the world in a totally different frame of eyes. So if you are an artisan and you're something like that, it's so important for you to stay in a space of creativity because the moment that you stop creating, your juices cease to flow. And once your juices no longer flow, you become stagnant, you become stuck. And that energy gets stuck in your body and you feel back aches and you feel tension and digestive issues and all of these things because you're not allowing, imagine it's like, it's like a stream and there's all of this water coming through the top of the stream, coming through your mind, all these creative ideas. But if you're not letting them come through you, they're just getting stuck. And then the water is going to begin to, flood and you're going to feel heavy and resistant and angry and impatient and things that artisans were not meant to feel. So if you have this inventive mind, use that because your genius was given to you for a reason. You don't need to stick to a routine if you don't want, but create some sort of routine to yourself so your body knows what to expect and you're actually going to be able to produce a lot more when you've given yourself kind of like, okay, well, today I'm going to do this or that. It doesn't need to be a strict hour-to-hour schedule, but feed yourself at the same times of the day. Have some sort of routine in your life because the body functions best knowing what it can predict. And with artisans... Don't get carried up into the future. Don't get stuck onto, well, what's going to happen later and this and that because anxiety is when you're stuck in the future instead of the present. Just like depression is when you're stuck in the past rather than the present. So stay present. Allow yourself to get deep in thought, but then come back to this moment because if you're always just stuck thinking about the future, you're going to miss out on it. So after the artistic artisans, we have the strong yet humble warriors. So the warriors, they are the protectors of the society. They are the movers and shakers. They get things done. They are pitta energy in full force, full of fire. So they are amazing at setting goals and getting them done. So I have a lot of Pitta energy in my mind. You can see I set the intention for this podcast yesterday and I'm on episode five now. Um, So when Pitta's up and about, you're like, yes, I'm going to do it. And there's no stopping me. And it's a really good feeling. So uh, warriors and Pitta's, they are very energetic. They're determined. They're focused. They know what they want, but at the same time, they're grounded. They don't lose themselves in it. They know exactly who they are and what they are meant to do. They don't have that same artisan vata energy that kind of loses itself sometimes. They are like kind of firmly planted, but at the same time, very energetic. 
They love a good challenge. They're competitive in nature, highly organized people. They love to have schedules, stick to their schedules, knowing what to expect. They have really strong morals and principles. They're extremely productive. They're protective around those who they love. They're proud of themselves. Uh, they love themselves. They're very resourceful as well. You can put them in any situation and they'll figure out a way to get by. They're very skillful. And they're survivors at the end of the day. You can put a warrior in any situation and they will find a way to survive. Warriors, they aren't just fighters in a way. They're actually more leaders. They are very street smart. They can read people really well. But at the same time, they they enjoy the earthly pleasures of life. They have strong appetites for food, for sex, for sports, for physical challenge. They want success. Success is important to them. There's no taboo about like making money and money's a bad thing. Like they don't have that drama. They're like, "No, I deserve money for the work that I do." which is great and more of us should feel that way. Warriors are very in touch with their physical. Um, they tend to naturally have stronger and muscular bodies. They tend to grab it just naturally are, are muscular, but also love physical activity. When they work out, they work out hard. They can be really competitive. If you see them in a yoga class, they're like in a handstand the whole time. A spin class, they're like winning the race. They can be super competitive. And too much competition can make them hot-tempered as well. So... Warriors can, they're just like pittas. They can become really irritable. They can be impatient. They might become kind of aggressive and telling people what to do and pushy. So some some people, like especially servers and artisans, like a server might be like, oh my God, you're like bossy. And like an artisan might be like, oh my God, you're so inflexible. So you see how these archetypes and how these doshas essentially kind of can come neck at neck at times. So warriors... They have all of this energy, but it's really important important for them to put their energy at the right place because if they're wasting their time sweating the small stuff, they're not doing what they were put on this planet to do. So warriors do really well as entrepreneurs because the work that they do needs to be super true to who they are. Otherwise, they're, they're going to burn themselves out because they'll be working, 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 and then one day question, like, why am I even doing this? And then that's how burnout happens. But burnout doesn't happen when you love what you do and you feel nourished and gratified by every moment that you're doing it. So warriors need to make sure that they're living their life in alignment with their truth and their purpose. Warriors um, also need to take note of the other people's sensitivities. They might not notice that like their intensity for some people can be scary or it can be aggressive or it can be harsh. They need to always like look at themselves from a third eye perspective and say, well, how could a server see me? How could an artisan see me? Am I being sensitive to everyone's needs? And warriors also, they can be highly persuasive people, but they need to know like, is that argument even worth it? Sometimes they just pick up arguments for the sake of winning. But was it even worth proving yourself at that point? Was it worth the hurt that you caused upon someone and even the stress that you've caused upon yourself? A lot of times, no. And warriors need to work on just their, just their communication style. So being more empathetic, um, just seeing people eye to eye instead of how you want to see them. So warriors, um, we need you. There are a lot of famous warriors out there. A lot of um, just athletes have warriors, but also a lot of just actors and actresses that we see that are like naturally strong. Like um, I'm trying to think like Arnold Schwarzenegger, maybe he could definitely be a warrior. Lots of just politicians I'd say have these warrior tendencies. They want to like protect the masses. That's definitely a warrior type thing. Like Rosie O'Donnell, like I could say she's kind of a warrior. She's like fierce and she's like protective. And, you know, some people might be a little bit scared of her fire, but she's definitely a warrior. So if you notice that warrior inside of yourself, just make sure you give yourself time to cool down, to cool off the fire and be sure that you're living in a life truth to your highest alignment. So the goals that you are, are 
running to race are actually getting you somewhere. You're not just like chasing a goal for the sake of money or getting a getting this job or getting this position, but it's actually part of your higher plan. And whatever that higher plan is, that's something that you have to think upon. And warriors really do love to help people and it does come down to it. The protection comes from helping people. Like in Hinduism, she's Durga. Durga is the goddess of protection and she's a warrior goddess. So they have a lot of Durga energy and Durga is the mother because the mother is extremely protective as well. She's protecting her kids and protecting her community. So find a cause that you want to protect and that you want to fight for and that that energy that you are placing upon is actually helping get you and the planet somewhere. So that's going to be super, super important and medicinal for the warriors. So after the warriors, we have the scholars. So the scholars are the librarians of the universe. They were put on this planet to learn and transcribe and collect and they are essentially sponges and they pick up everything around them. And sometimes they pick up too much. Their minds are constantly working. So my dad is 100% a scholar. He's the smartest man I've ever met. Um, they are extremely curious. They are always asking questions. They want to learn about everything, not just what's in their periphery, but anything out there they are hungry to learn about. Scholars are extremely knowledgeable. They're very logical at the same time. They are more into learning about like the sciences and the real things, a little bit less in the spiritual realm, more in the like things that they can like actually see and be proved by science or some other form of methodology. They're very neutral. They get along with everyone. They don't need to prove themselves. They're too busy learning and they can be really understanding at the same time. They are easygoing. They can make friends with everyone. People like being around scholars because they contain a wealth of information. Scholars is one of my secondary archetypes for sure. I just, I love sharing information and I love learning and I'm constantly just like researching things and looking at books and trying to learn from people. And like, I see the, the light, like the entire world as a resource to be learned from. And that's why I love the internet, which I talked about. Scholars at the same time might devote uh, their entire lives to just studying and not actually doing. You know how they say the, those who cannot do teach, which is messed up to say, but that's sort of true with the scholars. So sometimes scholars are just learning, learning, learning that they're not actually putting those skills to practice because they just feel like they need to learn more knowledge. And a lot of times they're like afraid to take the next step because they feel like they don't know enough. And the thing is, the problem is they know too much. Uh, they, they know too much. So that's why they don't want to take the next step. Whereas warriors, oftentimes they don't know that much, but they're like, the step needs to be taken. Let's go for it. And like warriors get a lot of places, they become presidents because they're like not afraid. They're like, they just go for it, they jump in. Whereas scholars are like, well, we have to research the data analysis and I don't know, how is this gonna go? Let's make some spreadsheets and see where this is gonna be five years from now. And in this time that they're like analyzing, other people are doing and they oftentimes get left behind. So a lot of times with scholars, I've noticed there's resentment. There's resentment of how can people be so short-sighted and how can they jump in things? And it doesn't make sense, but it actually comes from their own anger that they have not found the courage to take that step themselves. With scholars, it's really important to obviously think and learn and see the world as this scribe, but also do. And sometimes you have to stop thinking and just start feeling. And feeling cannot be proved in a statistic or in a graph, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And scholars have a really hard time understanding human emotion. Um, for them, it's like, well, the world is supposed to be as it is. And like, this is just how things are. And like the people die and this and that. And they see it black and white where it's a thousand shades of gray and orange and silver and every color in between. So scholars need to see that, you know, it's not always, it's not always by the book. There's no right and wrong. There is no black and white. Everything has its own side. And if you hear about a story from each person's point of view, you will see it in a totally new way. 
With scholars, on the con side, they can sometimes be a little bit arrogant. They feel like they know everything and that they there is nothing left to learn. So with someone that they see that, well, if they're not going to learn from you, then why should they talk to you? I mean, I think we've all been around a scholar that's made us feel that way before. It's like, well, you're not smart enough for my time. And sometimes scholars get into the state that they are always, always teaching, but they're not learning. And that can also alienate people as well, because pe- everyone has someone to te- something to teach you, even someone that is illiterate. They probably have more to teach you than anyone. It's not a battle of who can store the most knowledge in your mind. There are so many lessons that no words can ever describe. Another thing with scholars is they tend to intellectualize things. They will look at a horrific situation and try to make sense of it and say, well, the reason this happened is because he performed like this and she reacted like that and da 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 And it's like, no, like when your friend is telling you that her husband got mad at her for something, just like feel for her. Like you, you don't need to make sense of it. You don't need to like give your hypothesis. Just be there for her. And scholars can sometimes be seen as overbearing because they think they know what's right. They might know the right way of doing it, but that's not always the best way of doing it. And it's not always the right way for all people. And on the flip side, sometimes they can be passive. Sometimes they just let things happen and they don't take a stand because for them, they're too busy thinking and they're sort of like in their own world. And they can be very abstract that they're not doing. They could be too theoretical. Um, they're focused on, well, like, what? what is the purpose of life? Everyone's like, hey, no, like, we got bills to pay. Uh, so, I mean, you definitely see that a lot in L.A. Like, people are like, well, in my meditation practice, this came to me, that to me. And it's like, okay, but we need to pay for gas. And, like, sometimes you need to also, like, come down to planet Earth, too. Scholars, I would say it's most related to the vata dosha because it's very heady. It's very in the mind and they need to tune back in with their bodies. They need to feel the kapha, feel the earth. They need to feel the fire, feel the warrior. And that is going to make them feel whole again and allow them to use that knowledge for good and act upon it and help people with it. If you are someone that is a scholar, then take note of do you, are you alienating people with all of your information or are you helping them? Are you acting upon this knowledge that you've gained or are you just letting it sit in your head and not to be shared? Famous scholars in the world, like Albert Einstein, he is obviously such a scholar, such a genius, and Tesla, even Abraham Lincoln, Deepak Chopra, a lot of just really intelligent people, Eckhart Tolle, they're all scholars and they just have so much wisdom to share, but they all have their own things. Maybe someone can seem too boring or someone can seem too aloof or whatever it is, but scholars were put on this planet to teach us and we have so much to learn from them. So thanks scholars. So after the intelligent scholar, we have the expressive sage. So the sage is the great communicator of the universe. They are the storytellers, the actors, the musicians, the entertainers. Their purpose is to entertain us, essentially. They were put on this planet to be a source of inspiration, to communicate, to broadcast, to speak. And they share, they tend to share values of wisdom, of beauty, of love, of comedy, harmony, even philosophy as well. So the sages are a bit different than the scholars. They're a little bit more just entertaining. They are oftentimes like comedians. They're really good at just like sharing a story and making you super just involved in it. They're really expressive. They're articulate at the same time. They're really good with their words. They're lighthearted. They're fun. They're friendly. So it's less serious than the scholars. It's more just like an actor, for example, like Tina Fey would be an awesome example of a sage because she's just super entertaining and she's obviously an extremely intelligent person but the way that she expresses that is not in a very scholarly way but it's more in like a she's implanting her wisdom through you without you even realizing it because you're laughing the whole time so sages were put on this earth to perform they you might have been born knowing like you were meant to be on a stage and you feel the most at home when you're in front of a group of people 
making them laugh, or even making them cry, um, making them feel something. So sages tend to be uh, musicians, actors, uh, storytellers, journalists, all sorts of things like that. But on the flip side, sages sometimes can kind of manipulate other people and manipulate themselves. So they kind of are, they're known as like the used car salesman of the universe. Sorry to say that, but like they can, they can get someone to do anything. They're very, very good at being just conniving. I don't know, not always in a bad way, but they know how to get what they want. So the the kind of key rule is never argue with a sage because you will never win. And they will figure out a rebuttal for every single point that you have. And they will always want to have the last word. So you can go back and forth with the sage and they will bring in the but, 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 but. So when you're arguing with the sage, you just got to let it go. Sages live their lives on stage in a way. They are always sort of performing and um, sometimes that can make them live a false life because they're always looking for the applause around them. They're always looking for the appraisal and the good jobs and the you did it. But oftentimes that keeps them from living their actual truth because they want to be liked by people, but sometimes they aren't being who they truly want to be. They have a very strong need for fame, which is not a bad thing at all. Some people were meant to be famous. Some people were meant to be in the public eye. But sometimes they get too wrapped up in it that they just get lost in their own dramas. And when they're not getting attention, they might throw tantrums because they need that drama and that attention on them. So you'll see like... You know, you have that friend on Facebook that all the time, like, her statuses are like, this happened and that happened and they're freaking out and blah, blah, blah. And, like, everyone's like, are you okay? And they, But it's like every single day, like, something happens like that and they just need that attention. They thrive off of it. They do the best when all eyes are on them. So it's not a bad thing. We just have to understand that's part of their archetype. And if you are someone like that, that you just live for attention, how can you balance that? And how can you find that fullness within yourself so you don't need attention and approval from other people, but you can gain it in yourself? If you are a sage, you might sometimes feel like, you know, like drama just follows you around. Um... You might feel like people lie to you a lot. You might get into situations that people use you. And maybe you came in with an open heart, but like the industry has sort of made you have like like a black shell around it. A lot of people are very drawn to sages because of the energy that they have and just because they're just so much fun and they want to be around that. But sometimes they draw the attention of the wrong people and very deceptive people can kind of seize along that energy. So that's why we see a lot of times in the entertainment industry, people, celebrities getting extremely used by their managers. And that's, again, the sage dynamic of needing that attention, needing that approval, and then the wrong person giving it to them. If you are a sage, it's extremely important to find that inner peace within yourself. When you have found fullness, you no longer look for the approval of others. You you know that you have this ample source of energy, but it doesn't need to always be shown. You don't always need to have the the funniest joke and be the most entertaining. And it's exhausting to always be acting like that. Like there are times that you can just chill and like not think of like a cool comeback and, and be in the public eye and have an interesting story to tell. That can be really exhausting. It's important for sages to just realize they can just be and they don't always have to pretend. And, you know, the same feeling that servers feel that they always have to help people. Sages feel like they always have to entertain people. And entertaining is their way of helping the world. You know, without the comedians, like the people on The Daily Show and Jon Stewart and like people like that, our world would be a, a worse place. We, we need that sort of sense of humor. So I really look up to the sages for being able to, to bring that in. But they have to be able to balance that out with like going inwards and not always, you know, having to be seen and heard and before an audience. 
So if you're a sage, just work on that inwardness, focus less on how you look to others and more upon how you look within yourself. If you are in love with a sage, you have a friend who's a sage, then give them the recognition that they want. It really means a lot for them. And sometimes the smallest gesture of that was awesome, you're really funny, or like that's really insightful, it means the world to them. So if you can tell that they're looking for that, give it to them, but at the same time, don't feel like you have to feed the ego. And a lot of us were crosses. We can be sage scholars. We can be sage servers. We can be sage kings, which I'll talk about later. So you might feel like that part of part of you, um, and it might not be your full self. So I can talk more about the dual things in another podcast episode. So if you think you're a sage, just work on going inwards. And thanks for cracking us all up. So now you may be wondering, well, what's your archetype, Sahara? You know all about these archetypes, which one's yours? You may have thought maybe I was the server or the sage or the scholar. This one's mine right here, the priest or the priestess. The priestess, I will just call it in the feminine, her purpose is to serve the higher good. It is similar to the server. They both want to help people, but the priestess sees it as the larger masses. So while the server works really well in one-on-one settings, the priestess feels best when she is healing a group of people at once because she feels like there is much more that can be done when you're speaking in front of a group of 100, 1,000, 10,000, whatever number of people than just one-on-one. There is obviously a time and place for everything and, you know, the Besides speaking in groups, they love talking to people one-on-one, but they know that their highest self's purpose is to talk to people in front of groups. The priestess doesn't just want to talk about anything. She's not really there to entertain, but she is there to raise the consciousness of this planet. The priestess feels like she was put on this earth to help raise people's vibrations. She was meant to inspire others, to motivate them, and to help them become their highest selves, which funnily enough is the name of my podcast. They say about 8% of the population have this priest or priestess role, so it's pretty a rare role. But their true sense of fulfillment is are often the things that other people are afraid of. They love public speaking. They love taking on like a huge task and getting it done. They're really amazing channels. They are able to pick up on people's energy super fast and they're super intuitive. And in a way, like they have this sort of enlightened aura about them. You come to them and you just feel like this feeling of peace. They are oftentimes Uh, good-looking people. That's what the Michael teachings say. And the reason that they were given good-looking features is because they need to be approachable. If they are not approachable, then people aren't going to listen to what they have to say. So a really good example of a famous priest is Barack Obama. Whatever you think of him, he's very enthusiastic. He's very inspirational. He has this energy about him that makes you want to be his friend. And many say he's a great looking person. I don't I don't deny that. So <laughs> People who have the priest and priestess energy, they are very high spirited, they're brimming with energy, they are really good at just like motivating an audience. They feel their best when they are healing the world with their words. They are very big picture focused people, they're super compassionate. Sometimes they can come off as fiery, Um, but it's the intensity they have is to help people. So sometimes you might hear when I talk, I'm like, la, 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 la. And I'm like, I'm just so into it because I'm so enthusiastic and passionate about what I'm saying. And like passion is like my word of life. It's always been the word that resonates with with me the most because anything I do, I do it with utmost passion. Priests and priestesses, they have this dynamic energy, they're glowing, but at the same time, for some people, it's it's way too harsh, and they might look at them as judgmental, they might look at them as just kind of preachy, of course, um, they might be like, oh my god, you can talk for so long, aren't you sick of hearing yourself talk? My cousin always jokes with me, she's like, you're like the mullah, which is like an Islamic cleric, she's like, all you do is talk. For me, I'm like, well, I just have a lot to share and I'm not talking to hear myself speak. I'm talking to educate the masses, but to the outside world, it might just seem like I'm just talking way too much. So it's really important if you are someone who's a priest or a priestess to, to 
to be aware of that, that not everyone wants your advice. To many other people, they see them as irrational. Priestesses and priests are very into the the utopian, the highest self, they're very spiritual. And other people might be like, oh, well, that's impossible. Like you're just singing Kumbaya. So people who are maybe like warrior or something, they might be like, oh my God, you're just all talk, but no action. So they can, there can definitely be those, those faults that happen. And sometimes they can be overly zealous. They want to do and achieve so much that again, they like the artisans, they can start a lot of tasks and end up not finishing them. Artisans tend to have more of an issue with this because they're just super flowing and creative and moving. Priests have a lot more fire to them. They have more pitta to them. So they do try to stop what they're doing. Like if they're passionate about something, they will get it done. Like for me, I set the intention for this podcast yesterday and I've spent the entire day just recording podcast episodes. For me, I a fire has been set under my bum and I'm like, get this podcast done. That's priest energy. But other people might be like, that's intense. That's too much. Um, you're not in balance. So you have to take a note of both. It, it, it's beautiful to look at both. With priests, if you feel like you are someone who wants to improve the world, you have a vision for the higher good, you don't mind being in the public eye, but you're not, it's not really your main focus, but you know that in order for major shifts to happen, you're going to have to put yourself out there. You easily just attract attention. Wherever you go, people just tend to gravitate to you for advice or just for the energy that you have. And you might have always just been a leader in your in your school, in your community, in your family. You may have been the black sheep in your family just going off with your with your own drumbeat. And you were put on this world to inspire people. So don't let other people's, you know, ideas get before you. Don't let them say you're too preachy, you're talking too much. Let that, let that passion fuel through you because priests, you were given this light and it is your duty to allow it to shine. Some famous priests, I've mentioned Obama was one. I'd like to say Angelina Jolie would probably be one. Who else? Like Bernie Sanders is for sure one. Bernie Sanders is like hardcore priest, but he's just all, he speaks so well and he just motivates you and he's all about for the higher good. And some people say Bernie's crazy, but he's Bernie, you know? Anyone that their message is really their cause has that priest energy. And again, and if you're a priest and you find yourself at a loss and you don't know what to do, find the cause that matters to you most. So it might take a little bit of time. I encourage you to get into different forms of healing, like shamanism is a really good way to channel that priest energy. Anything that's more active, so like something like Reiki would be better for the server because to do Reiki, you have to be really passive and like allow yourself to just become a medium and a light and it's very soft energy, whereas priest is a little bit a little bit sharper. So shamanism really resonates with fellow priestesses because it's a very earthy, moving, you feel it, you sweat it, and things like that that you can feel in your body is really, really good for priestesses. And again, and if you're a priest, make sure that you don't come off as self-righteous, make sure you don't come off as I mean, you might come off as too preachy, but try not to give your opinion when it's no not needed allow people to ask for it or come to you. All my fellow priestesses out there, what's up? And now we're gonna go to the very last archetype, guys. The seventh archetype is the king role. And this is the rarest archetype, which is about 4% of the population. Kings are the commanders. They naturally command attention, command power, command authority. A king is a natural born leader. Wherever they are, people come to them when they need advice, they need guidance, they need just to be told what to do, they're managers. They lead less from this place of inspiration and be the light that priests do, but it's more, okay, this is what needs to be done. They have a very commanding presence. They speak with authority. They are perfectionists. They demand excellence from everyone, from themselves and all of those around them. They look to be the master in situations. So they tend to oftentimes just find themselves kind of like 
being the boss, even if you're working at like a gas station, you just become the manager of the gas station. Anywhere you go, you end up in that position of leadership. It just comes to you. They're really good at delegating jobs to the right people. They're good at seeing the big picture. So they're really wonderful CEOs and things like that. Again, strong Pitta energy. The kings at the same time can be a little dominating. They are oftentimes viewed as controlling, demanding, overbearing, and that can also shift into being tyrannical. Um, the kings need to have things their way. It's really hard for them to meet eye to eye with people because it's sort of like, this is my way and it's my way or the highway. So a lot of people have issues with the kings, especially if they are someone that has you know, their own strong personality. They feel like, well, why should I listen to you? What do you know that I don't? So the kings can be seen as heartless, as inflexible, as intolerant. They might be, you know, insensitive to people's emotions. So they share that with the warriors. The warriors and the kings are both strong in pitta, fire energy. But the warriors are more, like, they're more doers. They're more in their bodies. They're more about, like, serving a purpose. They're very action-oriented. Whereas the kings more sit back but have other people do for them. They take a more of a managerial big picture role, whereas the warriors are like, hey, let me just get in there and get things done themselves. But they can both be scary, especially if you're like a server or an artisan or something like that. Kings in society tend to go into business. They tend to climb the corporate ladder and they go into politics. Um, so that's why in politics we see it's oftentimes a battle of the egos. Everyone's just wants to be the best and, you know, public office is supposed to be about giving back and serving and we have all of these kings in there so it's kind of not the best fit but you can see kings in other places like a famous king that I think is a king is Jennifer Lopez like she's a boss she knows what she wants she gets it done she definitely has an artisan in her as well because she's an artist but she has this kingly energy that you know that she's telling people she's calling the shots in whatever situations that she's in and and she kind of manifests these like relationships that she's definitely the decision maker in them or so that's how it appears at least but other kings like Steve Jobs, like Steve Jobs is a king and a scholar. So he's very smart, very interested in learning about the world. And But at the same time, he had this king-like energy that he looked at the strengths of everyone around him and said, hey, you're really good at computer software, so I'm going to hire you to do this. And what got Steve Jobs where he is and what created Apple was not that he did everything on his own, but he was really good at hiring the right people. And that is king-like energy. Tony Robbins, again, he is like a priest king. So he's all about serving the highest people, but at the same time, he really holds his own. And he's created this huge movement for himself, and it's so organized and all of these components to it. And it's because of this king-like energy that he has. So kings can be super, super compassionate as well, but oftentimes it can, it can also turn tyrannical. So like Trump has a lot of king energy that he needs it done his way. And he worked his way up the business world and he got bored with it. So now he wants politics because he wants more power. So he's very, very power hungry. And that's the king energy when it gets too much and out of balance. So if you see yourself as a king, you just naturally take control of situations. It's really important for you to be mindful of other people's emotions. You don't need to prove yourself as the best, as the strongest, as the smartest, as number one. It's not a competition. And a true leader is aware of the emotions of even the most fragile person in their group. So if you really want to make a difference and connect with your audience and your tribe, be humble in your approach. Listen as much as you speak and use that king-like energy where you're able to see what everyone's good at and put them in the right positions. Use that for the greater good. So I think Tony Robbins does it excellently. He uses his king-like energy and he's serving, serving, serving. So he has the super strong balance between those two. And I wish, I wish Trump would follow suit. So, um, and if you are in a relationship, you're friends with a king, 
just be mindful that yes, they're trying to control the situation, but they're not meaning it to be rude. They're not trying to like put you down. It's just how they operate. They probably don't even see themselves doing it. It just comes to them very, very naturally. And if you ever see a king doing it to someone else, don't be afraid to stand up because kings can be very scary, but no one deserves to be put down. So sometimes it takes someone standing up for the king to be like, oh, okay, I, I'm not actually a king right now. I'm just a normal human being. Sometimes they can forget that and might need a little bit of a reminder. Kings, make sure you're in a place that gives you the control and the managerial powers that you want, but at the same time, don't turn into a ruthless authoritarian and stay balanced and stay true to who you are and use your leadership skills for good. So those are the seven archetypes, and I'm super curious now that you've heard about all of them, which ones you resonate with. I wrote an article which is on eatfeelfresh.com. If you click on the articles page, eatfeelfresh.com slash articles, you can read all about the teachings there. I've written all about them, and I would love to hear which archetypes you resonate with. So please share on the Mind Body Balancers Facebook group. If you're not in the group, I'll put the link in the show notes. And, and tell me where you stand, like for me, the priestess, but definitely I feel the server, I feel the artist, I feel them all, but that's the one that comes through to me. So I want to hear what comes through to you and like, what are the ones that are like, oh, I know someone in my life that's like that, but I could never be like that. It just takes our inner knowing to another level when we can interact with these archetypes because these archetypes show up everywhere. And now that we see them, we're able to recognize them. And when we meet someone, we could instantly say, okay, well, they fit with that sage archetype. So maybe like this is what they're going to be like in friendship and relationship and this and that. And it allows you to become much more perceptive and know what to expect. Now, I'm not saying like go around and immediately judge people based on their archetype, but it adds a tool to your tool shed for perception and for intuition and for awareness and all of these things help you become your highest self because to become your highest self, you must be in tune with the world and the people around you. I hope that was really interesting for you guys. I know when I first heard about the Michael teachings, it was like fascinating for me and it just, I still use it every single day. I always, whenever I'm with my clients, I'm like, you're such a this and that. It really has helped me make sense of things and I love to relate them to the doshas because they really go hand in hand. Can't wait to see what you guys post in the Facebook group. And if you have any questions, you can leave a comment on my blog post on eatfeelfresh.com. And can't wait to see you guys, my beautiful archetypes. Bye-bye.